Amen. The book of Jude. Go ahead and turn there. If you haven't this morning, we're going to study verses 20 through 25. And the title of this is Three Ways to Contend for the Faith. Three Ways to Contend for the Faith. Um, Just a little bit of background about Jude. Um, Jude, we believe, and most people agree that this is the half-brother of Jesus. We believe that because you see there in verse 1, he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Well, James, we know, is the half-brother of Jesus, and so we assume that this is um, the same two guys. And so Jude is writing a letter. We don't know who he's writing to, but we notice, it's interesting, there's like a lot of similarities um, in style between James and Jude. Neither of these guys really minced words, right? They, they got straight to the point of what they wanted to talk about. And this is what we see um, with Jude. So why is he writing? Well, apparently... In the church that Jude um, is writing to, apparently there had been some false teachers, um, apostates, people who had been disguising themselves as Christians, creeping into the church and leading people away from true faith, leading people away from the Lord. And Jude is writing to combat this and to expose them. He says in verses 3 and 4, You can go ahead and read there with me. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, he's like, I wanted to write to you about the glories of salvation, right? I wanted to write to you about um, the, the, the goodness of that. He says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all saints. Uh, to all the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude says, I'm writing to you because there have been certain people who've crept into the church. They're denying the Lord and you need to contend earnestly for the faith, not just contend somewhat, put every effort forth in contending for the faith. It's like you're saying this is way too important of an issue for you to be sitting on the sidelines. This involves every faithful follower of Jesus to be contending for the faith. Now, we don't know exactly what this false teaching was. Um, He doesn't come out and say it, but as you read through the letter, a couple things become clear. These guys were denying the lordship of Jesus. We read that in verse 4. They were given over to sexual immorality. He says that they were lewd. He brings up Old Testament examples of sexual immorality. Um, He says that they were rejecting authority. They were only concerned for selfish gain. It wasn't a good situation in this church. And so Jude spends most of this letter not saying, and so this is how you contend for the faith, he spends most of his letter exposing the false teachers and saying, this is what they're like, this is what they do. Um, And he brings up all kinds of Old Testament um, references, and he speaks of their ultimate judgment before the Lord. See, Jude was concerned about the church, and he wanted the people in this church to recognize false teaching um, when it came. And so he says, contend for the faith. Fight, contend earnestly. And as we read through, you know, the entirety of the New Testament, um, we know that we're not immune uh, to 
uh, the deception of false teaching, right? We're not immune to the allure of um, sinful attitudes and temptations. There's still a danger of being swept away. So we're not past this, and we're not above it. And so in our passage this morning, I want to take a look at the exhortation that Jude gives, because he spends most of his time exposing them. And then the last five verses, um, he gives exhortations of, this is how you contend. And he gives three ways. How can a believer be protected from the deception of false teaching and apostasy and from the allure of sin? Well, here you go. Keep yourself in the love of God, he says. And then he says, and be concerned about the spiritual well-being of other people. And then lastly, he's going to tell us, and you need to worship the one true God. And so what's he saying? He's saying you need to be concerned about you walking and you growing. Be concerned about your faith, that you're, you're going deeper into the Lord. You're in a place of loving Jesus. But don't just be concerned about yourself. Be concerned about the spiritual well-being of others. And as you're doing these things, let your worship be directed toward the Lord. And if you do those things, and we're going to talk about them at length here, if you do those things, it's like he's saying, you're going to do fine. You're going to do just fine in your walk with the Lord. So let's go ahead and read these verses, starting there in verse 20. He says, but you, beloved. So he's been taking this whole time, and he's talking about false teachers and what they're like. And he says, but you, there's a distinction. You, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. You want to contend for the faith. You want to keep yourself safe from false teaching and not being deceived. These three things, keep yourself in God's love, be concerned about the spiritual well-being of others, and you worship the one true God. So let's take a look at these things. Verses 20 and 21, the exhortation here is to keep yourself in God's love. But you, beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There's four exhortations in these two verses. He says, you should be building, you should be praying, you should be keeping, and you should be looking. Building, praying, keeping, looking. But the, the main point of what he's saying here, the, the main emphasis, actually the only command, the only imperative in these verses is to keep yourself in the love of God. He's saying, so you keep yourself in the love of God and these other things are going to help you do that, right? Um, those other exhortations are centered around that thought and that we would be doing everything within our power to keep us in a place of being in God's love. And this assumes the fact that um, you are already a believer, you already have faith in him, you've been walking with him, and so this command is keep yourself in that place of the Lord's love. The Lord loving you, you loving the Lord, don't depart from that. Guard yourself against departing from the love of God. Jesus himself said something similar in John 15, 9. He said, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. He says, abide, stay there. You know, this comes, that 
that passage in John, it comes in the midst of a passage where Jesus is talking about the vine and the branches. Very famous passage of scripture, right? Where Jesus says, hey, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Just as the vine can't, or just as the branch can't do anything separate from the vine, you can't do anything apart from me either. Abide in me like the branches abide in the vine. And so, you know, Megan and I just had our first fire the other night. It was pretty cold and we've got a bunch of firewood and those were once branches, right? They were attached to a tree. They were, they were good for something. But when they were detached from that tree, they became useless, only good for burning. And Jesus says, you should be attached to me. And then he says, so abide in my love. Isn't that an interesting thing? Jesus says, abide in my love. Stay there. I love you. If you have any question in your heart right now whether or not the Lord loves you, let's just dispel that right now. Jesus himself said, that's where I want you to live. I want you to live in my love, abide in my love, stay in my love. Let me shower you with my love and don't depart from that place of letting me love you. Don't be removed from that. And also, don't be moved from a place of you loving the Lord. Right? Don't, don't move from a place of, of where Christ isn't the center of your affection because it goes both ways. The Lord loves you with everything. Don't move from that place of being loved by him. And at the same time, uh, don't move from a place of showering your love and affection upon him. And this is what Jesus talked about when, when somebody asked him, they said, hey, what is the greatest commandment? This is a really good question, isn't it? Um, there's all sorts of, you know, views about the motivations behind this question. I, for one, am really glad that this person asked this question. It's like, what's the greatest thing that you could do for the Lord? Mark 12, 29, you know what Jesus said? Verses 29 through 30, Jesus answered him and said, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He says, the best thing that you can do is to love the Lord with everything that you are. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, that there wouldn't be any portion of your life that you are holding back from loving the Lord that's not devoted to loving Jesus, to love him with the entirety of your being. Keep yourself in that place. Don't move away from that place of loving the Lord and letting him love on you. Don't, don't depart from that. Do everything in your power, Jude says, to keep yourself in the love of God. Now that begs the question, can a believer then depart from the love of God? Can a believer um, separate themselves from the love of God? And the implication that Jude is saying, remember, he's talking um, to people who are being swept away into false teaching. He says, you got to keep yourself there. And so the implication is, yeah, you can remove yourself from that place, but don't. Don't do that. And I think that, that we see this in varying degrees in our walk with the Lord. Um, some more than others, there are times when, when we have extreme closeness to the Lord where we are in that place of, I'm in the love of God, I'm worshiping him, I, I love him so much, I know that he loves me, walking in the joy of salvation. And then there are seasons of maybe despondency or disobedience um, or being dry and bored and complacent. And so um, I think it's, it's some of these attitudes that Judah's saying, keep yourself in that place of closeness to Jesus where your affection is for him alone. You know, it reminds me of what Jesus said 
In Revelation 2, verses 2 through 5, the beginning of Revelation, Jesus is talking to, writing letters, actually, to seven different churches, and um, in some cases rebuking, in some cases commending, and he writes to the church of Ephesus, and it says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars, and you have persevered and have patience, and have labored, labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. Think if the letter were to stop right there, we'd be like, Ephesus is rocking it, right? Ephesus is doing great. Um, they're, they're persevering. They're, they're walking with the Lord. They're, they're um, you know, uh, rooting out false teaching. They've persevered. All of these different things. Verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. It's like Jesus was saying, on the outside, you guys look fine. On the outside, you look good, but I see what's going on. I see your motivation. I see your heart. I see why you're doing what you're doing, and I can tell you it's not because you're loving me. I don't know what the deal was with Ephesus. Maybe... Um, maybe they were just caught up in a routine. Like, oh yeah, this is, I'm doing this because this is just the thing I do. Or maybe they were concerned about a cause, right? Um, he talks about how they tested, uh, found people who were saying that they were apostles but are not. Maybe they were like, you know, zealous about rooting out false teaching and they were more concerned about a cause than they were about actually loving the Lord and walking with Jesus. Whatever the case was, the Lord saw right through it, right? And he said, You've left me. You're doing all this work. You're striving, but you've left your first love. You've left me behind. Listen, the safest place and the best place that I can be is in the center of God's love. Me loving him, him loving me, rejoicing in this relationship because if I'm keeping myself in the love of God, then my heart is gonna be protected against false teaching. It's going to be protected against um, the allure of, of sinfulness and sinful attractions and affections and desires. If Jesus is the sole affection of my heart, there won't be room for lesser things. There's not going to be room um, for idolatry. There's not going to be room um, uh, to walk away from the Lord. If, if he is my everything and I'm loving him with everything I have, there's not going to be room for anything else. And this is what I believe the Lord would have us, how he would have us walk. You know, think about a relationship between a husband and a wife. You know, we, we, we approach our walk with the Lord sometimes, I think, like the, the Ephesian church where it's like we're doing all of these things, but it's not done out of a heart for love. It's done because it's like, well, I don't want to break a rule or I don't want God to be mad at me or, or you know, you, you can fill in the blank. Think about a relationship between a husband and a wife. I'm married to Megan. She's sitting right there, the beautiful young lady in the fourth row back, you know. Um, sorry. Uh, anyway, um, think about that relationship. If I'm approaching my relationship with Megan, like, uh, yeah, you know, I married her, and I don't, I don't have an affair on her because I don't want her to be mad at me. You guys would be like, whoa, that's, that's not, I mean, good, don't have an affair, but let's talk about your motivations here. Don't you love her? Listen, it's my love for my wife that, that keeps me faithful to her, right? I love her. I don't want to hurt her. 
I don't want to do anything that would cause her that would cause her pain. And so take that type of mentality and apply it to your walk with the Lord. What's your motivation for what you do and why you do it? Is it because you're loving the Lord, you're walking with the Lord, you want to be pleasing? You don't want to do anything that would be displeasing to him or or hurt him, or is it I just don't want him to be mad at me and I want to follow a rule and I want to check off a list? Jesus told the Ephesians, you guys are doing a lot of work. I see it. And, and I commend you for the work, but you've left me. They didn't keep themselves in the love of God, did they? No, we're called to keep ourselves in the love of God, that he would be the priority and the main affection of my heart before anything else. And when we're loving Jesus like that, listen, our, our actions are going to follow that. Our actions are going to follow that. And we're going to be protected against um, the world and sinfulness and false teaching. So keep yourself in the love of God. And then he gives in verses 20 and 21 three exhortations that kind of revolve around this thought of, so how do you do that? How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Well, beginning of verse 20, he says, so building yourselves up on your most holy faith. You'd build yourself up. What's that mean? That you would be growing. You have faith. Now build upon it. Build upon it. Be growing. And listen, no matter where you're at in your walk with the Lord, I don't care if you've been saved um, just this year or if you've been saved your whole life and you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, there's always room to grow. There's always room to grow upon what's already there. None of us can say that we've attained the highest level of spiritual maturity. There's this theme all throughout the New Testament that we wouldn't be in a place of of being stagnant, that we'd be continually pressing on in the Lord and growing and learning, falling more deeply in love with him, growing in maturity and grace and knowledge. There's always room for this. How do we do that? Well, I'd say one of the primary ways is through the word of God, right? Romans says that faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Listen, the word of God should have that place of priority in our life where we are are being instructed by it and learning and applying it and walking in it. James, in chapter uh, one, he says, be doers of the word and not just hearers. Only go and do it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. He says the scripture is good and it's good to correct you. It's good to rebuke you. It's good to, to train you up in righteousness. Why? so that you would be complete and equipped to walk in those things that God has called you to walk in. Without the word, where would we be? This is, the, this is the tool that the Lord used to communicate with us. This is the primary way that the Lord speaks to us is through his word. And if that's true, it should have the highest priority in our life, right? To learn from it, to understand it, um, to walk in it. And so listen, I think that we should each have that personal time with the Lord where we are alone with the word of God, allowing him to teach us and instruct us and apply it to our lives. And listen, this isn't a matter of being legalistic about, you know, well, I've got to read my Bible today because I've got to check that off the list. Listen, we should read our Bibles, but it's not out of a heart of legalism. It's a heart of, 
I want to love the Lord more. I want to build upon my faith. I want to keep myself in the love of God. And so how am I going to do that apart from what he's communicated already to me in his word? Keep yourself in that place of communion. That that should be the most active part of our relationship with him. Learning what he loves. Learning what he doesn't love. Applying those truths to our daily lives. And so I think it's imperative that we each have that that devotional time, whatever that looks like um, for you. You know, a lot of people will, will read the Bible in a year. I think that's awesome, and I think that's, that's wonderful. And if you can do it, do it. I've, I've never been one who's ever been able to do that. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've tried to read the Bible in a year, and it's like January 3rd. I'm like, well, I guess that didn't happen for me very well, you know? Like, I, I don't know what it is. But you know what? Actually, you know what it is, what happened a lot of times? is it became more of a, I, I want to check this off of my Bible reading plan list than it was, I want to hear from the Lord. Have you guys ever been in that place where it's like, I, I, I care more about being able to check it off and feeling like I've accomplished something than I have about meeting with the Lord? Now listen, if you love reading the Bible in a year, I'm not knocking that do it. And if you're doing that in such a way where you're taking time and you're hearing from the Word of God and it's instructing you, praise the Lord. Like, you know, don't, don't stop because I said this, right? Um, for me, that, that hasn't worked. Find, find what works for you where you're able to be in a place where you're being instructed by the word of God, not just when you come in here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, but, but daily. We need to be fed daily, don't we? And so find that time. What works? Does the morning work? Does the evening work? Maybe you need to just take time on your, your lunch break and just devote that hour to, to being in the word and hearing from God. But the important thing is, is that you're getting it into your life and that you're using that time to not just check it off a list, but to really hear from the, the Lord and what he thinks. And so it's so important for us that we have that, that part of our lives, that devotional part. That builds our faith, doesn't it? But you know what? there should also be an emphasis in our lives on hearing the word of God taught, right? And, and this, is what, this is what we do here. This is why we're here week in and week out. Um, here at Calvary Chapel, we love teaching through the Bible, right? Uh, this is what we do every Sunday. Pastor Troy has been through the Bible, I think, um, three times since he's been pastoring here. And so this is what we do because we want the full counsel of God. And we want gifted men to be able to stand in the pulpit and explain to us what it means and praise the Lord that we have that, right? And let's take every advantage that we have to get more of the word of God into our lives. Why? Because it builds our faith and in building our faith, it keeps us in the love of God. And that's why we do um, what we do. And so we build our faith we build upon what's already there. In doing so, we're keeping ourselves in the love of God. But the next thing that he says is found at the end of verse 20. He says to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Be praying in the Holy Spirit. Notice he doesn't just say, and so pray, period. There are other places in the Bible that it says to just pray. Um, but this, he's specific. He says, we should be praying in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? There's another place that mentions this, Ephesians 6.18. After Paul talked about putting on the full armor of God, he ends that section by saying that we should be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 
Praying in the Spirit. Well, what is this? What, what does that mean to pray in the Spirit? Let's just make it really simple. To pray in the Spirit means that we are being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit in our prayer life. That's all it means. Maybe, maybe it's more helpful to think of what it's not. How about this? Praying in the Spirit is the opposite of praying in the flesh. And what do I mean by praying in the flesh? Well, uh, maybe there's just selfish prayers. I think of in James, he talked about um, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. And so those, those self, I'm not ever saying that it's always wrong to pray for yourself, so don't, don't take it to mean that. But if it's only that, if it's only to spend it on your own pleasures, so that's praying in the flesh. Maybe, uh, maybe you guys have experienced times where it's like, oh, this is boring, or I'm just slogging through it, and I, I feel like I'm, I'm hitting a wall, I, I need breakthrough, or my mind is going in a hundred different directions, I would categorize that as maybe praying in the flesh, because you're not allowing the Spirit um, to, to take command of that, that time of prayer. Um, we're to approach prayer with the attitude of, Lord, lead me by your Spirit in this time. Empower me to pray. We often think of the Holy Spirit's power and how he empowers us for works of ministry. He empowers us to, to um, have that fruit of the Spirit born in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, all of that. Um, the Holy Spirit to teach us and convict us. Like We think about the power of the Spirit, but do you realize that we need power to pray? And maybe if your prayer life is boring, maybe it's because you're not praying in the Spirit. Maybe it's because you haven't sought the Lord and asked him to infuse and empower your prayers with the power of the Holy Spirit. Take time to do that. Take time to just wait upon the Lord and seek him and to get alone with him. Because so often I feel like, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience and I'm convicted by this, so often I feel like when I approach the Lord, I come to him with the things that that. I want to talk about and my list of stuff, and then when I'm done praying, it's like, okay, see ya. Um, I'd say that that's, that's being directed by myself and not being directed by the Spirit. When was the last time you just sat in the presence of the Lord without an agenda? Without, like, I've got my list of stuff that I want to talk to you about, and as soon as I'm finished with that, then I'm done. And I'm not saying that it's bad, again, to have things that we want to talk to the Lord about. Of course we do. Of course we have that. But allow your prayer times to be directed by the Lord. And if your prayer life is sluggish and boring, talk to the Lord and ask him, Lord, would you just show me what it means to pray in the Spirit? This is something that I want to experience for my life, and I want to walk in this, and I don't, I don't want my times of communion with you to be counted as just boring or just going down a list of stuff. I want to be spirit-led in my prayers. When was the last time you approached your prayer life without an agenda? Listen, we should be waiting on him, being led of him, enjoying his presence, being directed by him, rather than just directed by myself and where I think I should take this time of meeting with the Lord. Do you guys see the difference? Do you see the difference between praying in the Spirit and and praying in the flesh. I hope that you're challenged by that because honestly, I know that I'm challenged by it. I know that I am. So listen, this is vital in our walks. We, we have the word of God and we should have that devotional time with the Lord um, in the word and in prayer. But these are things that take place corporately as well. 
um, that we should corporately pray and be seeking the Lord and praying in the Spirit together um, as, as a body, as a church. Um, and I love that we do that here um, on Sunday nights. Listen, we've got a, a prayer meeting on Sunday nights where we take time. It's not just an agenda. It's we want to take time to seek out God and to hear his voice and to walk in the spiritual gifts and to pray in the spirit and to have him lead us. Listen, some of the most, the sweetest times that I've had in the presence of the Lord have happened out in that lobby when we're in our prayer sessions. It's, it's wonderful. And I, I highly encourage you, if you're not a part of that, you should, you should come and be a part of it. Because the New Testament places high value upon not just praying as an individual, but as coming together and praying as a church. This is what we saw the early church did all the time. In Acts 2.42, it says that um, they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, fellowship, and what? Prayer. Together, corporately. And so, don't miss out on what the Lord may have for you um, during that time. And so we keep ourselves in the love of God. We do that by building our faith, praying in the Spirit. And lastly, lastly uh, verse 21, second part of it, it says, and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. To be looking for the mercy of God. Uh, what, what's that mean? Well, there are other translations that say waiting, or I think the New American Standard Bible says to wait anxiously. Um, the word implies that there's a sense of expectancy while we're awaiting a future event. And what's that event? The return of Jesus, right? The return of the Lord. He's coming back. He's going to rapture the church. We're going to be with him um, in the clouds. He's going to change us in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. And this is something that all through the New Testament you read, be expecting this, be waiting patiently, expect that the Lord is going to come back. You don't know the time, you don't know the day or the hour, but be looking and waiting for it. That we would be living our lives with that type of expectancy. And as you think about in the context of what he's talking about, hey, there are false teachers there are people trying to lead you astray. Um, there are people who are um, in the church who are being led astray. This is what should be most important to you. You keep yourself in the love of God, and you do that by building your faith, praying in the Spirit, and remembering that Jesus is coming back for you, and it could be today. Amen. It could be now. And so look forward to that. Wait patiently. How would I be living if I knew that today was the day that Jesus was returning? Would I, would I change things? Can you ask that to yourself? Would you change some things if, if you knew that Jesus was coming today? Or would you be like, no, I'm good. I think that a lot of us would be like, there's so many people I need to talk to, <laughs> right? Uh, there's so many people that I need to share the gospel with them. Um, or you'd be like, oh man, I've been totally blowing it. I know that I've not been keeping myself in the love of God and I need to get my life straight. There's sins that I need to repent of. It's with this type of attitude that I think that the writers of the New Testament and Jesus himself wanted us to have. Looking, waiting anxiously, wondering, could today be the day? John and... 1 John chapter 3 says that when we have that type of hope, it purifies us. It purifies us. Actually, before that, in 1 John 2, 28, it says, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we might have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. 
might have confidence. Abide in him, stay in him, remain in him, that you might have that confidence when he returns. What state do you want to be found in when Jesus returns? What kind of state do you want to be found in? Um, you know, what, what state do you want your heart to be in on that day that Jesus comes? And listen, whether or not we are um, going to live to see the rapture, I don't know. Let's live like it. Let's expect it. But whether or not that happens, I know that today I'm one day closer than I was yesterday to being with him face to face. So how much more ought I to be devoted to him and loving him and looking for him? And so we build our faith. We pray in the spirit. We await the return of the Lord as we keep ourselves in the love of God. And so that's the important thing. We're doing all of this because we want to be in that place of, I love the Lord and I'm walking with him. But the second thing that Jude talks about is in verses 22 and 23 is we contend for the faith. So we keep ourselves in the love of God, but we are also concerned about the spiritual well-being of others. We're concerned about the spiritual well-being of others. So as I'm being built up in my faith, as I'm keeping myself in the love of God, as I'm patiently waiting and expecting the return of the Lord Jesus and praying in the Spirit and all of these things, um, that it wouldn't just be an inward focus, that I would have an outward focus as well and be concerned about other people. And they're standing before the Lord and, and in their walk with him. Right? So Jude well, let's read verses 22 and 23. It says, And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the, by the flesh. So Jude, remember, so he's writing to a church that's been infiltrated. Um, and we can assume that there were a number of different types of people in that church. There were those who were faithful to the Lord, um, who were not being swept away. Um, there were those who were wavering in their faith, in verse 22 of the ESV, it says, and have mercy on those who doubt. So those who are, are maybe, they're believers, but they're doubting, they're wavering. And then you have those who are full steam ahead with the heresy and the false teaching, whether or not they were teaching it or if they were just accepting it hook, line, and sinker. So we can assume that there were these three types of people in this church. And Jude says, um, you should be concerned if you're walking faithfully with the Lord, be concerned about another person's well-being, their spiritual well-being. Be concerned about this. This is something that should enter our mind as we are contending for the faith, keeping ourselves in the love of God. Be concerned for other people. He says, and on some, have compassion on those who are wavering. The New King James says, making a distinction. That word distinction is more, I believe, more accurately translated, those who are wavering or those who are, are doubting, right? And what does he say to do with those in the church who are believers, but maybe they're being um, tempted to be led astray? What does he say? He says, have compassion on them. Have mercy on them. Come to, the heart, come to them with a heart of, of wanting to teach them what it means to walk with Jesus, showing them the truth of who he is, uh, revealing the lies of, of the falsities that are in the world and in these false teachers, right? And listen, that's what discipleship is, right? Another person coming alongside somebody younger in the faith and showing them the more accurate way to walk with the Lord. That's exactly what this is. How many times, and there have been many times in my life where I see unbelievers who are immature in their, or believers who are immature in their faith, um, and they're believing lies or maybe embracing sin or, uh, you know, I don't know, we've, we've all seen it. 
and so often my heart is kind of, it's filled with scorn. Like, how in the world could they do something like that? Don't they know better? And the answer is, they probably don't know better. <laughs> they need somebody to teach them. They need somebody to come alongside them and show them love and mercy and compassion and teach them what it means to walk in the truth. And it shouldn't elicit our scorn. It should elicit our compassion and mercy to come to them and care about them enough to teach them what it means. And so you guys, you've been walking with the Lord for a while. Come alongside those who are younger in the faith. Maybe you see those who are doubting, who are um, flirting with the line of, of believing lies or walking in sin. Come alongside, have compassion. Disciple them, train them up. But on others, Jude says, to save with fear. Verse 23, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. I believe that these are the ones who were probably embracing the false teaching, right? Uh, it, it could even include those who were, who were, you know, preaching the false teaching, right? And what does Jude say? He says, don't hold back from them either, but you should have an attitude of fear, so the way that I interpret this is go to them and give them stern warnings, but also make sure that you're not getting caught up in the same sins and affections that they are getting caught up in, right? Uh, be concerned for them enough to talk to them, uh, to pull them from the fire, but don't go so far as to pollute yourself with what they are getting into. The bottom, the bottom line in all of this is we should be genuinely concerned for the spiritual well-being of other people. As we walk with the Lord, as we grow in faith, as we experience the love of God, as we love the Lord with everything that we are, the heart is, as well, that we should be concerned for other people, that we might come alongside those who are doubting and teach them the ways of the Lord, that we might be used to snatch others out of the fire. So Jude says, contend for the faith. Fight for the faith. How do you do that? Keep yourself in the love of God. Be concerned for the spiritual well-being of other people. And lastly, we see in verses 24 and 25 that we ought to worship the one true God. Worship the one true God. Verse 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Listen, as we think about who the Lord is and what he's done for us, that he's our Savior, he's loved us, he's, he's showered us with his affection, that we would in turn turn around and worship and praise him for all that he is. To him be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. But I want you to notice in these verses, so I think that the state of the church that Jude was writing to, they were in a pretty serious situation. But Jude was not despairing. Do you see that? He wasn't despairing. He wasn't just throwing up his hands and being like, oh, well, like, you know, the church was a good idea. But those false teachers, they got us. You know, that's not what he says. He, what does he say? He praises the Lord for the Lord's ability to keep his faithful ones. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. He's able to keep you. And so, you know, somebody might be thinking, well, wait a second, do we keep ourselves in the love of God or is God able to keep us? And what's the answer? Yes. yes. The answer is yes. 
We do keep ourselves in the love of God. We make every effort to keep ourselves in that place of showering our love and affection upon him while allowing him to shower his love and affection on us. And at that same time of keeping ourselves there, he is able to keep us from stumbling. There's that tension that we see all through the New Testament that we should be putting forth maximum effort in our walk with the Lord, all the while knowing that God is sovereign. God keeps us. Amen. Amen. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You see that tension there too. Wait, do I work out my own salvation with fear and trembling? Or does God work in me both to will and to do for his good works? The answer is, yeah, yes. Make every effort. Make every effort. Keep yourself in the love of God all the while knowing that he is sovereign, that he is able to keep you, that he is able to complete that work in you that he began. And listen, uh, then it says, and he's able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's what we have to look forward to. What do we have to look forward to? The fact that we're gonna stand before the presence of God, not, not clothed in our filthiness and sin, but faultless, the Bible says, Faultless, Jude says. How? Because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He's cleansed us. He's justified us. And we're going to stand before him clean. And this should be a source of, of everlasting praise in our life. You know, he is worthy. And he's going he's to present us before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I love that last part because it's like, wait a second. Is it the Father's exceeding joy or is it my exceeding joy? And what's the answer? Yes. The answer is yes. It's going to be a joyful day for Jesus to present us before the presence of his glory for the Lord. Hebrews 12 says that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Why? Because he knew what it would mean for you. He knew what it would mean for me that we would get to be with him in his presence. But listen, is that not going to be an exceedingly joyful day for us as well? And we finally made it. We're here. Verse 25, to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. To God be all the glory, all the power, all the dominion. Listen, the Lord is worthy of our worship and praise and adoration. As we think about contending for the faith, maybe Maybe worship isn't something that first comes into your mind of this is what I should be doing. But listen, I think it absolutely is. Because here's the thing. If, if the Lord is the one who's sitting on that seat of worship in your heart, when we're caught up in who our Savior is, when we're caught up in his love, when we're concerned about other people and their spiritual well-being, we're not going to have the time for lesser things, are we? We're not going to have the time to devote ourselves to things that are not found in the pages of Scripture. We're not going to have time um, to, to get caught up in sin because we're going to be so concerned about loving Jesus and worshiping him with everything that we have. We're not going to have time for those other things. Listen, all, all the world is going to come in. They're going to be worshiping other things. Um, if false teachers infiltrate your, your sphere, 
And this is your attitude of, I love Jesus. I'm not departing from his love. Um, I'm, I'm concerned about other people. I'm, I'm worshiping the Lord. If, if other people come in and they're bringing false teaching or they're worshiping other things, they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. And so you be concerned about your spiritual state. You be concerned about your growth in the Lord. You be concerned about other people's spiritual state. And you be concerned about worshiping the Lord in all of his glory because he's worthy of it. Amen, Lord, we love you. And I thank you, Lord, that your word is true. I thank you that by it we receive just everything that we read about, Lord. Um, reproof, correction, conviction, training in righteousness. And Father, I pray that we would just fall more deeply in love with you, Lord. That we would be those that do not depart from uh, your love. Lord, that we would continually keep ourselves within your love. And Lord, that we would be concerned about other people and that you would hold that place of worship in our hearts above and beyond anything else, Lord.